Businesses today face constant questions and choices about their business models, digital innovations, cultural and societal purpose, and customer experience. This is Modern Perspectives, a podcast where we hear from B2B leaders about how they're tackling today's challenges across strategy, systems, and teams. Hi, and a warm welcome to the final episode of Modern Perspectives podcast series. My name's Nicola Ray. I'm CEO of Modern, and I'll be your host today. It's been a real journey and we've had some amazing speakers on the show. But today is our final episode and we're going to be talking to Michael Bernard, ex-CMO director of IBM in Europe and currently a non-exec director, trustee, school governor, consultant and author. We're also joined by Stephen Davis, EMEA marketing director at Roland DG EMEA. Steve is an executive leader with a track record of business success in travel, retail, consumer and commercial products. He has extensive experience leading and shaping teams to deliver innovations and sales solutions at all stages of the business life cycle. Both of them have been through huge transformation programs, have helped to shape teams, deliver against those teams and deliver huge transformation in the course of their work. Steve was part of the American Airlines transformation that happened about five, six years ago. And Michael Bernard as well has been through a global transformation at IBM. Together, they've got some great insights about how to get the best out of teams and how to make the culture come through really, really well. In terms of change, um, I'd really love to get a bit of background from both of you. So, Michael, let's start with you. Um, I understand the change at IBM was based upon trying to find a step change in productivity. When was that? When did you undertake that? And and also give us a colour the picture for us in terms of how you went about that. Sure. Um, we, the, the time period of the program itself ran from 2015 to 2016, but of course it's still happening today. Um, when I talk to my former colleagues, the, the ramifications of that whole program are still working through their way through the system. Um, it was a big drive for productivity um, that we needed, but there were other considerations as well, I think. Um, everybody in the marketing function knew that we needed to get much more into the world of digital marketing and being able to use the the really up-to-date tools to understand our clients to connect with them and then find ways to move them through the funnel effectively so we had it we had a big push over that period and the program of change itself probably took the best part of two years it's it was a big effort it was a global effort uh, and I was leading the the work for about 500 marketers in Europe who were, if you like, the marketing planners. We called them portfolio marketers. But they were the people who did, for each of the product lines and the, and the customer groups, the planning of what marketing we would do. Um, and when I look back to see what the criteria were that we were trying to do, of course, productivity was hugely important. Um, and the number one uh, metric we had was commercial success and that was measured through um, what we called marketing assist did we help identify a, a marketing uh, opportunity um, did we create a revenue uh, did we work with business partners to generate their revenue if you like and did we have end-to-end marketing where we were responsible for everything from the first identification through to closure and those, those, Sorry. 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 That was the commercial success element of it. But there were other criteria as well that, that were kind of given a lot more weight around what were we doing to support clients and prospects, which I think was a, was a really healthy sign. Also to work with influencers, because that 
was becoming more and more of a, an important element for us is that we knew there were people with very significant voices in our markets and we needed to convince them that we had to be part of that dialogue. And lastly, developers, because in the, in the tech world, if the developers are not using your platforms or using your software and thinking about you, then you're going to be struggling to engage more broadly. So that those are the four criteria we used. Cool, that's really interesting. So we'll come on to that in a, in a few minutes and sort of delve into the delve into the detail. Um, Stephen, what was your experience and situation? Uh, my my situation experience was, was something slightly different, uh, more in the consumer space. And I'll look back to American Airlines, um, where I was involved leading the international marketing teams through merger and relaunch. Um, and it was wider than just a, obviously a, a marketing problem. Um, the business was in a position where, honestly, they were losing money, um, had not been in a great place for several years, and had hoped to trade its way out of the situation. Um, in the belief that try harder, do better, and the money will come. And that was something that was just looking very unlikely against the backdrop of uh, a competitor position where the major US carriers in the States had all filed for Chapter 11 financial protection. And so we really had no choice but to follow suit. Um, this is around 2013 time. Um, and so a major amount of change um, we went into that financial reorganization. Um, we were under Supreme Court administration, which was something that was brand new to me. I'd never been through that environment before. Um, we considered the business plans, or in fact, the courts uh, is, is the ones that, that look at the business plans from both the existing leadership team and competitive leadership teams making a bid um, during that uh, restructuring and refinancing. And then ultimately, we've merged with one of our closest competitors, US Airways, and then relaunched the entire business and rebranded at the same time. So it was an amazing journey to be part of that and to lead a team across uh, multiple markets worldwide. Um, but certainly learned a lot. Um, and from a marketing perspective, you know, the first thing that we really had to do was reassure our customers that their their flight tickets were still safe, that they could still travel, that we weren't just going to stop operations. Then we went into a program, what we called reinvigoration, where we were talking a lot about what was coming next and all the changes that we were going to make. Um, and then finally, the sort of the final uh, stage of that was effectively a relaunch and a rebrand. So very clear three steps that we went through uh, before we came out of the other end of it. Yeah, very clear three steps, but there's lots of complexity that sits behind each of those, which is you know, interesting. I'm going to go back to Michael and explore in a little bit more depth um, what Michael was doing. So, um, Michael, going back to IBM, when, when you were part of, because you were part of a global program and sort of one cog and a giant wheel, um, in terms of what you were trying to achieve in the UK market or Europe market, um, what were your key elements of success for that program? Why do you think it was successful? I think when we, when we looked at the primary measures for what we were trying to do, we, we really did succeed because we gave ourselves a goal of, of delivering 30% more in terms of marketing results, however they were measured, with effectively 15% less resource. And we managed to beat that. 
So we did a little bit better than that overall. So the, the big program goals were met. I think an element of success that we maybe hadn't anticipated, uh, at least formally, was around the engagement of the marketing team, because giving them access to state-of-the-art tools, giving them uh, a whole raft of education, um, which was very engaging education, it was all face-to-face, -face. we gathered people together you know, internationally to, to go to these things, brought them, I think, a renewed sense of engagement. And so retention, if you like, I think becomes easier for uh, more motivated teams. Um, they felt that they were once again in a state-of-the-art marketing team. And so that, that probably feeds back positively into the tangible and measurable results that we are able to deliver. But um, it, it was a successful program. It, it took a huge amount of effort and time. It, it was a, a really complex um, thing. And uh, right across Europe, um, we were trying to exercise a huge number of marketing people and get them to shift the way they thought about marketing, the tools they used and the processes they followed. Can you give me an ex example of, if you're able to, about like maybe some of the tools that you use or the, or the change in sort of behavior that you saw from pre to, to, to post? Sure. Um, the, the big um, tool that we, we used was Unica, which was um, IBM's own tool. It's, it's a sort of very large enterprise um, marketing digital tool. Um, but I think that was less important than people feeling they, they finally had access to, to the best tools. Um, we started out right at the beginning of the process by actually doing a skills survey. And this was self-assessed. Um, and we, we, we assessed people across four different skills areas. And then we, we understood and, and agreed with them, if you like, what were the most important things to fix. And then as we rolled this out, we had a quarterly program, um, certainly in my area, where we were looking at the 500 marketers or so, uh, had a quarterly program with specific areas for them to engage. So we got very, we got very detailed uh, and very consistent and persistent in how we did this. I think that's really interesting that you, you start by assessing the capability and competency levels of your internal organization, because if you're going through a transition that's quite, not just structurally, but skills-based as well, to keep take people on that digital journey, getting their buy-in in terms of how you're going to move those personally and as an individual from A to B, I think is, is really, really good. So they're almost self-measuring their own change and transformation along with holistically the whole program. So I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, one thing that I, I would love to understand as well is like that's quite an internal perspective from a change program point of view. From a marketing aspect, which is what you were looking at, how important do you think it is to, as part of that change process, for the customer, and where does the customer fit into that? It's completely central, um, and particularly for anybody who's planning marketing. I mean, everybody in, in marketing should be customer-focused, of course, but if you're planning what you're going to do, you have to, to live and breathe the world of your customer. And so we put the customer right, right in the middle of everything we needed to do. And one of the quarterly programs we had was to say every single person, every single one of these 500 people should go out and over a three month period, they should go and have conversations with five customers. So we, we said very specifically, find a way to get introduced, use one of the large account teams to help you get introduced, talk to a business partner who can introduce you to a customer, 
go and talk to a customer, talk to a prospect. And in most cases, the customers are delighted to have the conversation because then they feel they're being listened to. And the positive feedback that came back was terrific because that informed the way that everybody was able to then think about how to approach those marketers, where their digital watering holes were, um, what they cared about, what they didn't, what they didn't care about. Um, it, it was a very, um, it was a very successful way of, of getting them to do that. It wasn't the only thing we did, but that was at the heart of it. And I think that's really interesting as well. So rather than having a team that perhaps just look at personas and talk to the customers and then feed that information back, you were asking individuals to actually go and do that themselves as well. So it's like everybody's got a perception on it. It's not just being enforced perception of what that customer looks like onto them. So I think I think that's a really interesting thing that everybody should speak to speak to the customer and then inform how that drives the change in strategy. Um, so that's good. I think that's something that we can all take heed from. And and of course there was a vast library of personas mm. that for by industry, by role, by size of organization that you could look up. But as you say, it's a little bit dry and a little bit kind of um, theoretical. When you talk to people it suddenly comes to life. So you could you could then get the best of both worlds. Yeah, completely. And just wondering about sort of with an organization with the size and scale of IBM, how aligned is or was that change program to purpose um, in terms of, you know, how important do you think purpose as a concept is behind that change program? Um, and what does that, what did that mean for you when you were in you know, rolling out that program or being part of that program. I'd just love to understand, is there any correlation between that? Yeah, it, it's it's really important because um, I, I'm a big fan of Daniel Pink and his book um, called Drive, which is about what motivates people. And purpose is one of the three key areas. So there's purpose, there's autonomy, obviously, which is being able to exercise some influence about how you do your job and mastery, which is getting to be really, really good at what you do. But purpose is, I think, for me, a really fundamental thing, which is if you don't buy into what you're doing, it's extremely difficult to become motivated. So there's both the purpose of the organization, um, which was quite well expressed in IBM terms, but, but individually, did people feel that marketing as a function, their particular team have a purpose and, and making a positive contribution? And we tried really hard to make sure that everybody understood that that was the purpose, um, which might have varied by team. But once you've got that foundation, then you can you can build on the motivation. And, and what I would say is, overall, in any big transformation, big change, I, I think of it as the rule of a, a third, a third, a third. So one third enthusiastically embrace this. They get it. They're on board. You don't have to do anything. They're just kind of leading the charge. There's one third that will get it and you'll kind of assist them and coach them and mentor them and they get they get to the point where they go, okay, I've got it and, and I'm in. And there's one third who are just reluctant and sometimes eventually come on board and other times just disengage. But if you think about it in, in that term, that's usually how things pan up when you have big transformational changes. And it's um, a little bit difficult sometimes to work on the last third. Yes, but that can also <laughs> play into your hands at times as well when you when you need to identify those those people um, who perhaps aren't quite aligned with the the, the future structure of the organisation um, in the most nicest possible way. And um, so, Stephen, your coming your transformation came from a very different 
um, place in the sense that it was, um, you know, external factors forcing it, so compliance, regulatory and financial, rather than perhaps driven by the customer or, or driven by a transformational vision set forth by the, the CEO. Um, so how do you how do you position that? Like you talked about that clear three clear steps. Um, how do you position that internally to get your team and your department and your people behind it so that you can um, make that change happen effectively? Yeah, I mean, at American Airlines, it was a position that was forced upon us. We had to change in order to stay competitive um, and to survive, honestly. Uh, but it was it was also centered around the customer. So the position that we, we needed to get to was be able to demonstrate the added value that we could provide as, a, as an airline, as a brand, um, figuring out how we could retain our very um, affluent, high-value customers. So we had an awful lot of uh, customer data, um, you know, customer archetypes, uh, personas, and so on, um, but also access to our customers to talk to them directly was actually very, very straightforward because we could go to any airport lounge um, around the world and speak to speak to customers directly to, to understand what their needs and requirements were. Um, but fundamentally, we also needed to attract new customers. So the position that we found ourselves in was one of a, I suppose, the historically a bit of a vicious circle. You know, you're not making much money, so you can't invest in a in new aircraft and in a new fleet which means that you're flying old aircraft across the Atlantic or across the continental US or wherever. Staff aren't terribly happy because they're not on the most modern equipment and it's not a very uh, engaging environment in which to work. Therefore, customer satisfaction is not great and you end up still losing money. Turn that around and you're in a position where it's a virtuous circle. Um, you've written off the debt. I mean. Chapter 11 financial protection is something that's available in the US, not in all markets, but you know, you, you, you change the business into one where the debt goes. You can therefore invest in new aircraft, in, in the example of, of an airline, um, which people want to fly on, both employees and customers. Um, it engages further loyalty. You're bringing in those high value customers and you're making more money, and then you can reinvest in the business. And so we've made it very, very clear across the whole of the business through internal communications, through our external communications, and that was the journey that we were on. And I think then it was very easy for the marketing people within the team to understand what the vision was, where we were going with that overall journey of, of, of transformation. Um, and you, everybody wanted to be part of it. You know, you were then working for the world's largest airline, um, the largest aircraft order in aviation history was one of the lines I think we used in one of our campaigns. Um, anyway, and it was a fun place to be. So, but the transformation from being, you know, concerned about whether we were going to make profit one month to being super profitable and ahead of our competitors was just like night and day. Um, but, you know, an exciting place. Yeah, really interesting. Um and really interesting, like sort of turning turning around what could be perceived very much as a negative into a positive outcome for both the business, but also for the people working in it, which I think at, at one point would have been quite frightening and concerning for all those involved. And um, on that basis, taking what you did and, and how you 
operationalize that, um, how important do you think leadership was um, or, or is? Um, and in terms of a change program, in terms of making it successful. So where, where do you see leadership sort of starting and ending? And how do you bring other parts of the leadership team in line with perhaps what marketing is trying to achieve? leadership in, in that environment and in that scenario is hugely important and in fact at american we had it was so serious that we had a chief transformation officer which is a position i haven't seen before or since but um given the size of the organization and you know 130,000 employees um it was something that was very necessary so you had a very senior person on the board of directors involved in every single change across all departments and that meant that whether or not it was a marketing campaign to reassure customers or whether it was a major IT program to invest in new technology or whether it was uh, processes and policies around HR, there was a, a leadership team that were working together. Um, but more importantly, there was actually a very senior person that was trying to understand all those moving parts at the same time. I think then the, the role of leadership is really, and where I saw being most effective was honest, open, and transparent sharing of information. And if you do it right and you keep up that cadence of, of communication, um, then everybody is a lot clearer and, and ultimately a lot happier. So there are, there are no hidden surprises. So there are changes that, like the ones that you've both described, and then there are businesses that need to evolve and modernize. So like you two have talked specifically about big implementations of change programs. But in today's age, there is more, I think, sort of evolution as, as businesses change and evolve over time, um, which in, require sort of change management and sort of some of the methodologies as people are digitizing or bringing in new technologies into what they're doing. Um, and, and both types of change, both the two that you've talked about, so like um, efficiency and productivity drives versus forced external change through bankruptcy, but also sort of evolving change as well. Um, and I'd love to explore that a little bit more now. Stephen, I know that at Roland DG, there's quite a, a change happening from, from a European perspective. And how are you, tell, me, tell me more about how you're working on that change and sort of the key things that you're seeking to change now in your role. Uh, overall, it's a change in the structure of the organization where we had um, separate business units in each of the operating um, markets within Europe and we're moving or have moved to a pan um, EMEA or pan-European um, structure. Um, and that is, is a, a challenge in itself in terms of the complexity that uh, exists, uh, getting lots of different ways of working and different cultures now working together with one um, common goal and, and approach, it, it does certainly take a bit of time and a bit of patience to get all of that right. And then one of the other one of the other sort of challenges that we have is also uh, taking our headquarters organization Japan um, along that journey and the reasons for us doing it. Um, but we have found uh, that, you know, there are considerable efficiencies in economies of scale by doing things collectively rather than trying to do them individually. And, and it's sometimes even um, repeating the work that was done in one market and just doing it in a different language. 
Um, and so the balance for us is to ensure that we get that consistency of customer interaction, that we can service our customers in a consistent and high level way, um, but not lose the local um, the local approach for which we're we're fairly well known. So how does Roland add value and differentiate and, and connect with customers at a local level, but also benefit from the efficiencies of being organized um, across EMEA? Um, we've used lots of tools to do that. We've focused hugely on investing more in digital activity than we have done in the past. Um, and for us, it's still early days, but we're starting to see the benefits. Um, the, the KPIs are going in the right direction. And, um, but yeah, you know, it continues to be a challenge. And what I'm seeing right now is some parts of the organization are adapting to the change at different speeds. So it may be the, the rule of a third, a third, a third that Michael talked about, but you know, it, is that one third skewed to one part of the organization? How do you navigate around that? I think alongside that, we, we also have a, a need to really examine our business purpose. So what is the, the, you know, the thin red line that flows across everything that we're doing and, and how do we ensure that we're joined up and, and have a filter for what is effectively on brand or off brand. So those are some of the challenges that we're working on at Roland right now. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, and in in terms of what, what you're looking at, um, obviously you've just talked about sort of um, managing that leadership across Japan and, and, and EMEA and sort of different people moving at different speeds in the organization at different levels as well. What in, with, with regards to what you're doing, what are your key success factors for changing what you're working on right now? Um, or is it a just a continual business involvement? Or are you, do you have sort of clear defined markers in the sand? Very much clear defined markers. And I think um, any change has got to be demonstrated with some success, successful uh, performance indicators. Otherwise, how do you know that you've, you've actually made any change and, and have been successful in, in doing that? So um, certainly at the moment, the, the things that I'm focusing on is ensuring that we have the right team in place. Um, there's an opportunity to make some changes and bring in some new talent as well as upskilling and, and training and helping our existing team members. Um, a constant look at how we can provide data points for decision-making purposes, and that can cover a range of things. But I think in the past, it's easy to have made some subjective uh, comments about where we take the business uh, and what I'm trying to do uh, Every single day is bringing that more of that objectivity, and uh, and use data to to help persuade and influence. That's mm, it's really interesting. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to go back to Michael now because Michael, you talked a little while ago in in this conversation about um, what you managed to achieve, which was thirty percent more marketing output and activity um, with fifteen percent less resource. Whilst that's a top line figure, how how did you evaluate performance during that change? Um, and what did you, if you remember, because it was a little while ago, if you, um, how did you set an evaluation criteria? So I suppose what I'm, I'm trying to determine is 
like they're really really great stats to deliver and some of them are easier to under, to determine than others but how how would you set a measurement framework in terms of something like that to determine success i think it's really twofold the first thing to remember is this is like it's an airplane in flight and so we had monthly weekly quarterly metrics for every single marketer that had to be met and the fact that we were going through a big transformation didn't mean we got to take our foot off the pedal or the wind the engines back if you take the airplane metaphor um, we had to deliver consistently through that period so the business was in no way going to let us off the hook so that the first and, and probably most important measurement is just can you continue to deliver the marketing results Secondly, then we had to evaluate the success we were having with the transformation program itself. Um, and this, this is very much about saying, you know, are, are we able to actually land the plane with it looking completely differently from how it actually took off, somehow doing all that in the midair? Um, we, used, we used a whole variety of different things to help us understand were we gaining traction with this. And I said we built quarterly challenges in for our portfolio marketers. Things like um, asking them to build their own individual skills map. I talked about meeting customers, but also building, starting to build their plans using the new methodology. Um, the, you know, the next quarter we'd say, go and meet five more customers because that's the most important bit of it. But, but then we'd say, everybody has to have a one-to-one -one skills discussion with their manager to say, have you, you've, you've built your skills map. Where are the gaps? What are you going to do to go fix those gaps? And then we asked every single person to give a five minute pitch on their portfolio. And not just to say, this is the stuff I'm marketing. It's about saying, how do I connect with prospects and customers for the cohorts that we've identified as critical for our success? So we had a bunch of kind of quarterly within the, the process metrics that enabled us to get an idea of were we gaining traction? And, and the big test for us kind of about nine, maybe 10 months in was we had to go through the annual planning process and we asked everybody to build the next year's plan using the new methodology and the new template, which we designed. And honestly, the, the pro progress was variable. Mm -hmm. First time around, there were some people who'd, who'd done really exemplary work. And there are other people who tried really hard but they hadn't quite managed to get the nuances of how this was supposed to work. So that was a big opportunity then for a lot of coaching, whether it was by the leadership team or by the, the managers within country to say, here's how to get the best out of this methodology. And then the second time around, it was hugely improved. So when, by the time we were doing a second annual plan, we could see that people had really got on board with this. So that, that, that was actually very encouraging. Um, the other things I think that we had to do um, in order for this to be successful, um, we had to be incredibly clear about roles and responsibilities. Um, again, in a big organization, uh, we were changing roles and responsibilities. We were defining new job types. And so we spent a lot of time going through that, even, even down to including a taxonomy, specifically about what job roles meant what. So it, it was hugely detailed and we gave ourselves these quarterly progress targets to make in addition to the normal business as usual 
you know, metrics we had to deliver. It's really interesting that you, in, everything comes back to the, to the people side of things and how you structure the people within the organization and their ability to be able to implement and, um, and, and run with what's not and in the terms of what you were talking about, almost like their own scenario planning and what they want to do versus actually we want you to do X and you need to implement it. So there's two things there that I really love is the fact of the whole um, self-evaluation in terms of skills and capability, but then the empowerment that you're giving them to set their own agendas and set their own pieces of work connected to this purpose that you've talked about so you're bringing them along on that on that on that change throughout that journey um, and it goes up from kind of the individual to the team then to the department then to the to the organization as a whole with this common thread going through it which I think is is a I've not looked at it from that perspective before I've tended to look at things from we've got this there's this change happening and we've got leadership we've got we've got people processes teams and um, technology and how do we bring that all together to work effectively but the way that you've talked about it today has been very much focused around all about the people element and, and empowering them to deliver and buy into what change is required that, that's, that's exactly really right that, that's, yeah. that's right because essentially when I look at the the quality of the of the professionals there was really generally very very high these are bright highly qualified well-motivated intelligent and thoughtful people and so you need to just enable them to get on with doing the things that they really know how to do you're kind of giving them a steer but um the the best of them need they don't need us to to say how to do the job they really know we're giving them new tools and processes that just mean they have revitalized interest in what they're doing they're saying i'm being freed up to do what i can do much better so for those, it's hugely motivating, and and we were lucky to have some very, very um, talented people who who were doing that work. So you're right; it, it's all about the people, um, the processes, and the methodology, and the templates. They're kind of necessary, but they're very far from sufficient. Yeah, but I think you know, just going back to it, sort of without those originating frameworks for people to get behind and the processes to get behind you can have all the amazing people in the world but if that framework and methodology isn't there then they're going to be fairly lost so i think you know the, the two do go hand in hand and there's an organization like ibm that's you know it's built on process um you think you, you know how to do it conversely steve you came from an organization at american airlines where you perhaps weren't working with consultant-led people all the time. You had a mix of people, not just in the marketing department, but throughout the organization at all levels. Um, so how, how did you, or, or are you able to give any insight? I know you were marketing, but are you able to give any insight in terms of how you brought other people um, throughout the organization on that, on that change journey, or was that not something that you got involved with? To some extent, I mean, I think the um, there was an awful lot of information that as a senior manager and in the marketing team looking at what we needed to communicate several months down the line, we were exposed to that some frontline employees at check-in and, and at gates and onboard aircraft simply weren't, you know, weren't updated on um, in any way near as much detail. 
And so it was often really good to be able to just talk to one of the frontline employees and say, hey, did you know that we're going through this, this, and this uh, change as well as everything that has been communicated perhaps in a more formal way? So having those opportunities to speak to uh, team members at, at all sorts of levels, well, I felt was really important. So it wasn't just the formal communication, but also that less formal or informal communication um, that you could have. And, and at the end of the day, it is about communication. Um, you, you know, I don't think you can over communicate when you're going through a big change program. No, I think, and actually, you know, when you, when you think about what Michael was saying, it is like all those one-to-ones, all of that, you know, self-evaluation and coaching that you talked about is about, you know, it's one-to-one communication and keeping people um, engaged in that way and that, you know, you care. And then actually the, the irony is with American Airlines, those frontline people are the people talking to your customers, absolutely. which you said, you know, is, is absolutely critical because they, that's the first touch point that they get when they, when they, when they meet American Airlines. Um, that's that's wonderful. So um, we've talked a lot about people. We've talked a little bit about technology. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask for is, um, you know, the bits that go wrong, like any sort of parts of your change journeys that you can say, oh, this was a tough bit, if you're able to share, um, that people can then sort of think about, well, well what are those watch outs that I might need to think about? Michael, do you want to go first? Oh. I'll have a go. There are two that spring straight to mind. Um, and I'm going to pick straight up on Stephen's point about communication. And I think the, the thing that I learned when, when you're designing or involved in the design of a huge transformation program, you're, you're completely buried in it. It's, it's a kind of your full working day, week in, week out. And it's very, very easy for everybody involved to forget that the people who've got to go through the transformation don't know any of this stuff. So what, what is completely obvious to you and, and clear as day is potentially just not clear and quite confusing to the very people who've got to change. So exactly as Stephen said, it's impossible to over-communicate this stuff. You have to remember that people are not as familiar with what you're talking about as you are. And, and the other thing I would say is it's really important to lead by example here. So if, if you're going to ask your team to go out and spend time with customers, go and spend time with customers. It's a no regret option to do that, but also the fact that you're seen to be doing it and you can bring back those conversations means that people believe that you, you, you're committed to this just as much as they need to be. So, so that's the first thing to watch out for. And I, th- I think we fell foul in some cases of assuming that people knew more than we had because that was our fault, that wasn't their fault. The second thing I would just call it is gravity. Um, And this is because if you want to shift a function or an organization in a big way from where it is today, there's a huge amount of inertia or gravity. And if you imagine uh, building a, a rocket that has to escape the Earth's atmosphere, you've got to put a huge, huge amount of energy into getting it to escape velocity. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what you do, it will fall back. So you've got to put that same amount of energy into shifting the organization to this new place and making sure that it has, if you like, the momentum to stay away from where it used to be. Because people, you know, they want to get back into their comfort zones and they want to 
to kind of be know, be familiar with what they're doing, then you're taking them to a place that's much less familiar. So unless you really make that the new normal, they will drift back to what they were doing before. And of course, that negates the whole purpose of the transformation. So those would be my two things to watch out for, gravity and communication. Stephen, what do you think? Very good. <laughs> I think uh, for me, it's, all, it, it's also about focusing on the positives. I think as you go through a period of change, it's very easy for people to focus on, oh, this is different to the way that we've been doing things. This might be different to the, the role or function that I thought, or even business that I thought I was joining or had been working for for the last several years. Um, and, and therefore, you can naturally expect some negativity to come out of big change um, program. And the key thing is, and I have to say the Americans are very good at it, you know, it's focusing on the positive aspects of, okay, you've now got a bigger role. We're talking about a, a larger uh, span of responsibility or um, increased empowerment, you know, whatever it might be, or, you know, new, new working procedures, uh, different technology, different ways of doing things. And what are the real positives and benefits that come out of change rather than uh, allowing too much negativity to, to sort of evolve out of the business and, and you're constantly getting that feedback of, you know, some people are more comf comfortable with change than others, as we've talked about before. So I think it's, it's ensuring that you focus on that positivity. And then probably the other thing that I would talk about is cross-functional collaboration, um, which I think is absolutely vital. Um, you can't do it in a silo. You can't say, right, we're going to do, you know, a brand relaunch because we've changed the business and then half the rest of the business is not on the same page. That's just not going to be effective. So um, ensuring that you get everybody all going the same direction is, is hugely important. And, and that leads me on to question, who should lead change? So this is a big question. So in your example, Stephen, you had a global, the chief transformation officer that came in to take on board that role for a particular stint of time. Um, and obviously they don't have any politics, they don't have any emotional ties. They're very much there from an operational standpoint, but not every organization can have that and not every transformation program warrants it. But in terms of transformation, if it is all about the customer and it is all about the people and and how, who do you think should own it and lead it? I think everybody's got an important part to play and it comes down to, uh, particularly everybody has got a management role and has to infuse and manage people. Um, at the end of the day, I do think it has to go up to the head of the business, whether that's the CEO or managing director or whatever title they, they have, but you need to have that guiding light coming from one single source. And yes, at American, there was a transformation officer. Don't get that in every business. In a, a much smaller business that I'm working for at the moment at Roland, you know, we, we are all involved and we all have to be. And again, it comes back to that sense of collaboration. Uh, but ultimately, it's the, uh, the leader of the business that has to steer it. Cool. I, I really agree with that. I think... Uh, the other nuance I would add to this is once once the program has started under the, 
this guiding light, as you put it, Stephen. Um, I think over the course of the, the change program, I think maybe in an ideal world, leadership would shift to the professionals. And, and the role of the leaders then becomes more about facilitating that change because they've bought into it, they're making it happen. And so gradually there's a shift in, in role from kind of lighting the way, setting out the path. If you can do that well, then people are happy to head on that path and they're kind of knocking on your door going, I want to go faster, but I've got some hurdles and you need to help me get rid of these hurdles. And then it becomes more of a facilitation role. And maybe I'm being a little bit idealistic there, but I think if, if you can get to that point, that would be the, the best way for a, a transformation program to shift from being led from the top to being led by the participants over time. Cool. That's really interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that this may be my last question. Um, for, for both of you, um, Stephen, I'll go with you first. If you could give somebody um, embarking on a, a transformation program who has been, that's their remit, what one piece of advice would you give them starting out? I'm not sure I could do one piece of advice. I'll do three or whatever. I, I think it's, okay, so planning, planning and communication. Um, you know, whilst we talked about the fact that you can never over communicate as you're going through change, it also needs to be well planned. Um, and if you plan properly, then that will in itself lead to collaboration across the team. So, you know, what is the speed of change? What are the key milestones that we expect to, to achieve uh, by a certain period in time? And um, how do we ensure that we, we stay on plan? And if we don't, that we communicate there's reason for any difference, any, any change in direction. I think you know, all businesses have got to be pretty agile and flexible in the current environment and you recalibrate your plans. Um, but, it, but having that plan and having that sense of, of direction is hugely important. And then, yeah, communication. Cool. Michael, would you add anything to that? I, I just say never, ever lose sight of um, the purpose of what you're doing. And, and in almost every organization, the purpose will be about the customer the service user, the patient, whatever kind of organization it is, that's the reason for making the change. And if you can keep that at the front of your mind, then as Stephen says, when when plans go wrong and they inevitably do, then you you, you know what it is that's guiding you in the right direction. Um, if you don't, if you lose that sight, then the, the whole purpose of the transformation, I think, becomes lessened uh, and becomes much harder to achieve. Cool, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Do you, either of you guys want to add anything else before we wrap this session up? The, the only thing I'd written down in addition to that was, I think, something Stephen already brought up. So I think we're, we're thinking on very similar lines. But um, I'd just say that change, change is not ever something that should be happening in isolation. Um, that if, I mean, maybe if it's just you're swapping in one tool and swapping out another tool, then fine. Yeah. But if we're talking about any substantial change program, then again, you're trying to do this to make things better for the customer ultimately, or better for the prospect or better for the service user. And so it ought to have knock-on effects elsewhere in the organization. It ought to affect the sales team or the, the technical team or the support team um, or the, the business partners. Um, so I think it's really important again for the leaders to be able to lay the groundwork 
um, to make sure that those parts of the organization will be able to get the best out of what change you're making. And I, I, I think I'm repeating what Stephen said, to be fair. It's about collaboration, but I think it is a really important point. Any closing remarks from you, Steve? For me, I think the, the one phrase that always sticks in my mind is the fact that change is a constant. And certainly, certainly within the airline industry, that was always the case. You know, so yes, um, to some people, change can be uns unsettling. Um, but actually, it's always going to be there. You know, the customer requirements change on a regular basis. We're finding at Roland that, you know, new technology is something that we need to bring into the business model as customer uh, needs dictate it. And if we don't adopt some of those changes, then we're going to be left behind by our competitors. So for me, that's, you know, a change is something that we all need to get used to, but managing it properly and giving everybody that sense of purpose, uh, that, that's the way forwards. Well, thank you very much to both of you. I've really enjoyed the session. It's been really insightful and interesting talking to you both. So um, I'm sure our paths will cross again and uh, speak to you both soon. Thank you. All right. Great. All right. Thanks thank you. It's been most, be most enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. We've had some really interesting and inspirational speakers over the series, talking about everything from transformation and constant uncertainty, customer centricity, digital and data, and resiliency in teams and culture. It's been a fascinating series and I want to thank all of our guests. It's been a pleasure. And if you'd like to listen to more, then don't forget to subscribe.